This is a Squiz Kids podcast. Your fresh take on what's happening in the world around you. They're known as sand shoes, plimsolls, trainers and more. Some are worth tens of thousands of dollars Whoa. and they have a pretty big impact on the environment. Mm. This is your Squiz Kids shortcut to sneakers, the podcast where we dive into the who, what, when, where, why and how of the big news stories. I'm Amanda Bauer. And I'm Bryce Corbett. Bryce, I hate to say it, but the clock is ticking and it's almost back to school time. No! And it's highly likely that families are gearing up to buy school supplies Uh as well as uniforms and shoes because kids do have that nasty little habit of growing them. Only joking, kids. When my kids were in primary school, it felt like I was buying them a new pair of shoes every couple of months. Their feet grew so quickly. Oh, my goodness. I know, right? Today, we'll take you through when sneakers were first invented, what a sneakerhead is, and how sneakers are contributing to climate change. Listen carefully, there's a squiz at the end. When? Bryce, I fired up the Squiz Kids time machine yep. because we are heading back to 1830s England. Oh. And specifically to the city of Liverpool. Excellent. It's here that we will find the Liverpool Rubber Company, mm-hmm. which has been making tyres for years. Yeah. But now the company founder, John Boyd Dunlop, has oh. figured out a way to get canvas fabric yeah. to bond, yeah. which basically means stick, to a rubber soul. Okay. He's made something that he calls sand shoes for people to wear on their trips to the beach. Uh Huh. The new railroad would take them to the seaside for the day. They'd wear their sand shoes and life was grand. Wow. But hang on, I always thought the English word for sneakers was plimsolls. Uh, Yeah, well, that word comes a few years later after the sand shoes. Okay. One of the problems with those sand shoes was that the canvas separated from the rubber sole pretty easily. Mm. So in the 1870s, some manufacturers started wrapping a thin rubber band around the place where the canvas met the sole. Ouch! To hold it on more tightly. Okay. Now, at the same time, there was a British politician called Samuel Plimsoll, uh-huh. and he was fighting to have a line painted onto big cargo ships to show how much load they could safely carry. Right. That line became known as the Plimsoll line. Okay. And it looked a lot like the line that went around the sand shoes, and ah. so they became known as Plimsolls. Wow. Don't you love the history of words and names? Yeah, absolutely. Now, these rubber-soled athletic shoes are also called runners and trainers today, which is pretty self-explanatory. But how did we get the name sneakers? Well, that one comes from our American friends. Mm -hmm. In 1887, a newspaper called the Boston Journal reported that young men were calling the new rubber-soled shoes, which they wore to play tennis, sneakers, Uh because they were so quiet on the ground you could sneak up on someone. So what you've got to remember is that standard shoes back then had hard leather soles, so they made quite a lot of noise when you walked. Sure. Sneakers were stealthy. I see. So the rubber-soled shoes were a big hit with tennis players. (laughs) 
They were. And then in 1917, an American rubber company introduced its non-skid rubber-soled shoe for basketball. Right. Now, in 1921, a salesman called Chuck Taylor joined that company, the Converse Company, and ah. he made some suggestions to improve the shoe, yeah. including putting a kind of star logo on the ankle. Right. Those shoes became known as Chuck Taylor All-Stars wow. and they are still in production today. Amazing. So when Chuck's signature was added to that star logo, yep. they actually became the first kind of celebrity-endorsed shoe. There I was thinking it was Air Jordans. No, that came a good 60 years later. Yeah, right. So that was in 1985 when basketball superstar Michael Jordan, you've probably heard of him. (laughs) Yeah, I have, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He teamed up with Nike and the Air Jordans that they launched together also created a new kind of person, Uh the sneakerhead. Oh, now what, Amanda, is a sneakerhead? What? A sneakerhead is a sneaker collector. Right. And I'm not talking here about someone like me who has one pair of sneakers for netball, another for running and a cute kind of coloured pair for wearing out. Yeah. These are people who together spend more than $10 billion a year buying collectible sneakers from other people. Wow. That's what's known as a resale market. So someone buys the sneakers and then instead of wearing them, they keep them until they're worth more and then they sell them again. Wow. Sounds like someone who invests in a piece of art or even in a company hoping to make money off it later when it's more valuable. Yeah, that's exactly right. So sneakerheads will queue for days to get pairs of limited edition sneakers when they're released and they'll stay up all night to make sure they don't miss online sales somewhere in the world. Mm. They go to sneaker swap meets and parties. They've got a special app on their phones. They're constantly on the hunt for rare, vintage or dead stock sneakers. Dead stock. So what does that mean? Well, there's a whole language associated with sneaker collecting. Mm -hmm. Dead stock is a pair of sneakers that has never been worn or tried on in the shops or even re-laced. So that makes them more valuable than B grades, which are apparently shoes that have been tried on in the shops but never worn outside. Okay. And then some other words you might want to know if you want to talk to a (laughs) sneakerhead. Become a sneakerhead, yeah. J's are Jordans. Okay. Red October are very rare red sneakers by Nike and rapper Kanye West. Okay. And if someone says your sneakers are steezy, yeah. that means they're stylish. Steezy. Which, right. steezy, yeah. yeah. And that also explains why Kanye West, who sometimes calls himself Yee, yeah. named his new Adidas line Yeezy. Wow. Every <laughs> subculture has its language, I guess. That's for sure. Now, Amanda, when you say that sneakerheads are after valuable kicks... What are we talking? How much are they prepared to pay to add to their collections? How much money are we talking here? Well, because I am dedicated to my job, Bryce, yes. I spent a little time on a sneaker trading site called okay. StockX. StockX, all right. You know those red Octobers I mentioned? Yeah. So yep. sellers are asking about $35,000 for a pair in my size. <laughs> what? Yep. And there's even a sneaker called the Air Jordan 1 Retro that came out in 2022, but it's modelled on the original 1985 Jordans. Okay. That will set me back about $50,000. 
500 bucks. Wow, $500 for a pair of sneakers that you're not going to wear? That's <laughs> fascinating. Now, Amanda, I read somewhere that 23 billion pairs of sneakers are made each year. There are only 8 billion people on the planet. That's almost three pairs of sneakers per person per year, which seems a lot, even when you take growing kids into account. And just like with every industry, people are looking at the environmental impact of so many sneakers, trainers, runners, plimsolls, etc., right. being made. Okay, yeah, good point. So how are sneakers contributing then to climate change? How? So, Bryce, I watched a really great TED-Ed video that I'll stick in the episode notes. Mm -hmm. It's all about what it takes to make a sneaker. Okay. And I learned that making sneakers generates 313 million metric tonnes of carbon dioxide every year, which is equivalent to the emissions of 66 million cars. Wow. How does that happen? Well, more than two-thirds of those emissions are caused by transporting sneaker parts all over the world. Right. So, I did not know this, a sneaker is made up of more than 60 different parts. And it's cheaper for companies to make those parts in specialised factories instead of having everything made under one roof. Okay. But then they have to transport them all to one place to be put together to make the sneaker. Yep. The rest of the carbon footprint comes from mining and manufacturing the materials that the sneakers are made from and, of course, power. The factories. So, what are manufacturers doing to reduce their impact on the environment? Well, starting with the simple stuff, many sneakers now come in recycled packaging. Yep. There are also sneakers made with fully recycled materials mm-hmm. or with materials that are sustainable, like eucalyptus tree fibres and wool. Yep. Adidas has actually released a sneaker made using mushroom leather. Mushroom leather. Made from mushrooms wow. instead of synthetic materials. So not only does the mushroom leather have a much lower carbon footprint than those synthetic materials, it mm. also biodegrades much faster when you grow out of them or, you know, they'd be on repair. Uh I'll put a couple of lists in your episode notes of sustainable sneaker brands. Of course, there's also a push for people to reduce their environmental impact by simply buying fewer pairs of sneakers. Yeah, and there are also new companies emerging that will repair your sneakers so you can wear them for longer instead of having to buy new ones. Right. Of course, that doesn't address the environmental impact of sneakerheads who Mm. keep buying and not wearing sneakers. Yeah, that's true. It could be hard convincing them to take up another hobby. (laughs) Time for the quiz. This is the part of the podcast where you get to test how well you've been listening. Question number one. Who is the American basketball star whose Nike collaboration kicked off the sneakerhead phenomenon? Yeah, of course, I'm talking about Michael Jordan. Question number two. Where do people in Victorian England wear their sand shoes, as they were first called? Yep, the answer's right there in the name. They wore sand shoes to the sandy beach. Question number three. Why did these rubber-soled shoes get their nickname Sneakers? That's right, because you could sneak up on someone quietly when traditional shoes had loud, hard soles. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us as we explored the who, what, how, where, when and why of sneakers. Now get out there and have a most excellent day. Over and out. These episodes are edited and engineered by Carter Quinn. 
If you've been enjoying Squiz the World, Squiz Kids Shortcuts and the Kids vs Adult Quizzes, I've got great news. We are going to keep producing them and keep giving them to you for free all year long. So starting January 30, you'll get the Squiz Kids Today podcast every weekday, plus these three extra podcasts a week. Can your ears handle it?